Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. If this is the first time that you're listening to the Quick Hits podcast, what you're hearing here is a bonus episode and it's not a typical show. I'm going to be going over emails and voicemails that people have sent me. And if you haven't listened to previous shows, you're probably going to be a little lost. You're not going to know what we're talking about here. The typical shows are about 10 minutes long, usually about 10 minutes and maybe two minutes of closing comments. So you might want to, if you're a first time listener, head back and listen to some of the previous shows before you listen to this one. I got to say, I'm really impressed with the listeners, with the people uh, who are responding to this show. I think we've got a lot of people out there that are smarter than the average bear. And that's exactly what I'm trying to aim this thing at. People who are already pretty smart. When I first started my website back in 1999, I wanted to do the Hitman Chronicle, and I was discussing it with some friends and the approach and the attitude that I wanted to take. I wanted it to be a little different than a lot of what I saw out there on the web at the time. And I said, I want it to take the approach that the people who are reading the articles are already smart, and this is just another little piece of information, something that might make them just a little bit smarter. And June Bischoff, a friend of mine, said, Oh, you mean they'll get smartenized? And I said, that's perfect. Can I steal that? And she said, sure. And I've been using it ever since. And this is not meant to be pandering to the audience. This is not, you know, like the comment going out and saying, hmm, I'm in Chicago. And he goes out and he says, the Chicago audience are the greatest in the world. Hey, and he gets lots of applause. Now, if I think somebody's an idiot, I'll quite often tell them that I think they're an idiot. And sometimes I do that in inappropriate venues and uh, get in a bit of trouble for it. But when I say that the listeners to this show are considerably smarter than average, I mean it. You're great. The show that I was the most nervous about doing was I've Got Your Number, the show about epidemiology. The problem was it didn't lend itself to the format that I'd been doing for a year, the format that people were used to. I couldn't do it in 10 minutes. It was just too much information. And it couldn't be as smart ass as most of these shows are. So I hemmed and I hawed and I debated about it. And I said, well, you know what? This is a podcast. And if somebody doesn't like it, they'll just move on to the next show. Or I don't think I'm going to lose any listeners over it. Let me give it a try and see what the response is. I had guessed that it would probably be about 50-50, people saying that they loved it and some people saying that now they didn't like it, please go back to the old format. What I wasn't prepared for was the overwhelming response that I got, which was 100% positive and so enthusiastic it was almost embarrassing. Here's an example from Bernadette, who writes, I just listened to the last episode of Quick Hits, the one about epidemiology. I loved it. I understand it was a break from your normal opinion pieces, which I also love, but I thought you did a great job summarizing key points we need to know. I actually work with a bunch of people who call themselves epidemiologists, and a lot of them don't even know some of this. I'm going to play your show for them at an upcoming training session. 
I have the power to make them sit and listen. Wow, thanks, Bernadette. And another one here from Alice who writes, I just listened to I've Got Your Number and I loved it. It was easily digestible information broken down into nice portions. Its length was fine as well, rating 33 minutes and change. I'd like to hear more quick hits in this format, maybe once every two months or so. I believe education is a good thing. One's never too old to learn something or understand something better. Keep up the great work, Dave. Here's a voicemail that came in about it. Deep. Hi, Dave. This is Isaac in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I really like your podcast. Uh, what's your number? A uh, couple things. Well, first, a couple of remarks and a question. Uh, thanks for giving us a one-on-one on uh, epidemiology. Uh, one thing, epidemiology probably isn't really exactly exactly the same thing as statistics. I mean, you could be doing statistics on things where you're not studying epidemics. But I guess from a practical standpoint, of course, the, the statistics that we get in the paper are, are, would probably almost always fall into the category of epidemiology. You're right. I used epidemiology and statistics interchangeably, and they really are two different things. Epidemiology uses statistics, and it also uses other methods of, of tracking epidemics, tracking illnesses. You can do it with maps. You can do it with all different ways of trying to determine what the cause of an illness is how an illness is likely to spread, and other things like that. So thanks for that correction. Epidemiology does not equal statistics, although statistics are widely used in epidemiology, and in most cases, you're right. When we see something that says, oh, there's a 30% increase or there's a 100% increase, what they're talking about is a statistical study. And about uh, and about biases, um I guess it's true that, you know, like, say, for example, if, if a bunch of anti-smokers come out with a study and, and it shows that secondhand smoke causes all kinds of problems, we shouldn't really be too surprised about that. And, and definitely, you know, definitely the source can bias the, the epidemiology study, whatever it was. But I don't think we should always throw away results just because, just because they happen to come from a source that's probably, has, that's probably going to have some biases. It's great for people to be, or for for the source to be as objective as possible, but no source is ever entirely, completely objective. So we can't. I don't think we can disregard a study just for that reason. Although certainly, certainly, if a if a given group that's doing a study has a very very strong bias one way or the other, uh, it, it's going to impact. I think it should impact how we treat the resulting study. Right again. Every single researcher, scientist, they have their own built-in biases. And, of course, the organizations that are paying for studies, they have results that they would like to see. So there's a built-in bias there. The point that I was pointing out was that the nicotine nannies always tell us that, well, you can't believe anything from a tobacco company because they're biased. Well, that may be true. But what about studies that are financed by nicotine nannies? They are just as biased, and they're going to make sure that their studies come out the way that they want to as well. So while you can't just write off every study where there's bias, because if you did, there would be no studies at all, it is something that you should simply take into account when you're looking at something. Um, I really did like the podcast a lot. There was a lot of good stuff in there about relative risk factors and, and the different kinds of studies, co- cohort studies, case control studies, all that, all that, all really neat stuff. Um, but the biggest thing I wanted to ask about, though, is 
how did you get to the position where you know what you know about secondhand smoke right now? I know that's your big issue. I'm kind of mildly interested in it. The way I got interested goes back to before I was on the Internet. I read an article about a specific medical procedure that I had had causing a 50% increase in a particularly nasty kind of cancer. And it scared me. And so I went to do some more research on it, and it was a little tough to do. This was before the Internet was available, before it was widely available. And so I had to go to the library and find things and check things and look things up. And I found out that uh, people who had this procedure had, did indeed have a 50% increase in the rate of cancer. But it was something, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like it went from 1 in 10,000 to 1.5 in 10,000. It was some, some really tiny actual increase that really did come out as a 50% increase. But it certainly wasn't anything that I needed to be worried about. I needed to be scared of. And so that started my interest in statistics. Shortly after I put the Hitman Chronicle up, uh, I started looking into secondhand smoke. And it was obvious that they were using all these statistical studies. And I realized that if I was going to determine if this was bogus or not, because it sure seemed bogus to me, I'd have to learn some statistics. And I couldn't find much out there that really explained statistics very clearly or very well. And thought, hmm, this is an opportunity to set up a website that uh, will explain it. But first I have to understand it myself. So I went out and I looked things up and I got some books and just figured out as much as I could. I put up some sample pages that weren't available to the public and asked some experts to take a look at it and point out mistakes. And they pointed out a lot of them. And when I was all done and had it all cleaned up, I put it on as a subsite of, of DaveHit.com called The Facts. I'm quite proud of the fact that if you go to Google right now and you type in secondhand smoke, you'll get 24 million hits. And somewhere around between like five and eight, you'll find The Facts. It's the first site that takes a negative view of all these claims. I'm going to cut the rest of this message off because it was a little long. It went on a bit. And he said another thing that he would like to see is how can you do this research? If you find some medical claim being made, some statistical claim being made, and you want to go out there and check it and see if it's valid, what's the procedure? Where can you go? And that's a good idea. Uh, I'll think about that and maybe do a show on it. That could actually be another uh, longer show. Here's an email from Matt. He says, Dave, just got done listening to an even playing field. That was an excellent argument. Thank you for the ammunition I can use the next time someone's fighting for equal treatment. The phrase that I want struck from the English language is, we'll just agree to disagree. What? There are very few things that get me boiling like this phrase. One of my first real jobs at age 23 was a small technology company where I worked in technical support. I was infuriated when the marketing lady argued a technical point that she was blatantly wrong about. I knew she was wrong. I was paid to know she was wrong. After about three minutes of shaking her head, she dismissed me with a, we'll just agree to disagree. It's up there with telling me I'm worthless. You have your opinion and I don't care about it. Who agreed? I sure didn't. Don't talk to me if you don't want to have a debate, lady. Learn to concede a point every now and then. It was actually the first time I'd ever heard the phrase. 
Leave it to a marketing person to say something idiotic. I wrote back to him and said, I never thought about that one before, but you've got a great point. I suppose it's okay if you're discussing the best sports team or your favorite flavor of ice cream or whether a movie is any good or not. But for anything substantial, using it to settle a dispute about facts should be considered... I need a new word for being that willfully stupid. Unsmartenized? He wrote back, thanks for the reply, Dave. I think unsmartenized is my new favorite word. But now, what is the correct grammar usage? I can't have a conversation that makes another person unsmartenized. I think they were unsmartenized already. How about, I can't handle people who have chosen to be unsmartenized. We wrote back and forth a little bit, and he likes the word unsmartenized. I don't. Not all that much. Uh, I think we need a word that means that. And that's going to be your assignment for this episode, if you choose to accept it. Come up with an alternative to unsmartenized. Let me know. Doug writes in with the phrase that he'd like to see stricken from the English language, it's not my fault. I realize there are plenty of times when things aren't our fault, but I sure can't help but think that the world would be a much better place if people would just take ownership of their actions, good or bad. Got to agree with you on that one, Doug. Austin Ricks writes in and says a phrase that should be eliminated forever. How about war on terror? That has got to be one of the silliest, most childish phrases I've ever heard come out of the mouth of grown-ups. First off, on its face, it's a setup for failure because it's impossible to win a war against an emotion. Even if it's a war on terrorism, it's still a war on a tactic that is as old as human beings are. It cannot be won. It's like declaring war on murder, or war on robbery, or war on nightmares, or war on war. It's so ridiculous it makes me want to chew off my own face. War, or at least war that can be won, is waged against countries, not actions, not emotions, not drugs, not ideas, not Christmas. War on terror couldn't be more vague or abstract. Hmm, maybe that's the idea. Unwinnable, never-ending war. The future's so bright, my shades have melted. And here's a voicemail that we received about... A phrase that this particular listener would like to see stricken from the English language. Hey, Hitman. I'm a long-time listener. I love your show. I've listened to every episode. You are asking what the, the phrase you'd like Im eliminated from the English language. I think the most dangerous phrase is there ought to be a law. Oh, yeah. Because whenever someone starts a sentence like that, they are, they are about to propose an infringement on people's Freedoms by using the government to, to hold a gun to people's heads to enforce whatever the person is suggesting. Very dangerous phrase. Love your show. Keep it up. Bye. I got some good responses from the Testing Your Meter, where we talked a little bit about education. That was kind of a running thing. It ran from show to show, and a lot of email going on back and forth, uh, arguing and debating about the idea of private education. Here's one from someone who signs himself Mac. It says, I enjoy your Quick Hits podcast. I've only been listening for two days, but already I feel smartenized. I do have a question about something you said in your podcast, Testing the Meter. 
You said that it didn't make sense the parents would be fooled into spending thousands of dollars and not seeing any results when sending their kids to private or charter schools. Wouldn't you need to take into account why parents send their children to these schools? If their real concern is religious or racial, then they might be inclined to overlook where the schools are less than adequate. This is old history, but I was in school in South Carolina not long after the schools were desegregated. A lot of academies sprung up. It wouldn't have mattered what Dick and Jane were taught as long as they didn't have to be in class with them. Regards, Matt. Well, that is a good point, and uh, whenever you have choice, some people are going to make bad ones. There are religious schools now where kids are taught that women should be subservient and homosexuals are evil and all sorts of foolishness. And if all schools were private, there would be more of those too. But there would also be schools that you could send your kids to. Schools where they could really learn to think critically, where they could learn real facts, where the teachers and the administrators weren't constantly fighting off religious nuts demanding that evolution be taught alongside creationism in the disguise of intelligent design. Some kids are going to get the short straw when their parents send them to these stupid, ignorant schools. But in the long run, your kids, and I think most kids, are going to be better off. That's a trade I'd be willing to make. Because, let's face it, there are a lot of kids in schools that are getting the short end of the stick as it is anyways. This would give parents some choice in the matter. Adrian writes in on the same subject. She says, education all private? Right. This one, I don't agree with you on. And for the most part, because I've seen how this works in a few different places, and it doesn't. China, specifically, all education is private, and you don't pay for quality, but to be in the number one school. The schools are ranked as such also. Londong number one school, and such. Basically, to be the number one school, you need to have as many white people as possible dancing around in the classroom, making kids laugh. Here in Australia, I'm a Canadian who lives in Melbourne, they have an interesting mix. Public-private. The education coming out of both is pretty much the same, but the private school is nothing more than status. And those who have the money can buy the status. Those who have the status get into uni. My girlfriend said it's the same in England. The more money it costs to go to a school doesn't necessarily mean the students are better educated. They just have their status. Well, I think it's pretty stupid to pay for status, but if you're going to, uh, well, that's an option. I really think that some of the better colleges out there, you're paying extra for the status to have a, a prestigious Ivy League status-filled school on your resume rather than getting an equally good education cheaper elsewhere. He continues, and I think earlier I said she, but it's a he, I believe it's writing. Adrian, one of those funky names that can go either way. He continues, On some level, your idea about private schools could work to a degree. The education would be the same, and it would offer parents more choice. Choice in where they send their kids. I think choice is great. Nothing worse than going to a vending machine and finding everything you want is out of stock. I hate that. But in the end, there wouldn't be any type of education equality. But I guess, why should there be? Those who work hard and can afford to do so should be able to send their kids to better schools. Kids who are smart enough to pull themselves out of the gutter will do so, regardless of what school they go to. I know I did all right, and I came from a very poor background. 
It's always fun to read a letter where people are kind of putting their thoughts together and thinking as they're writing it. I do that a lot myself. I like to write about things because that helps to clarify what I really think. So this is one of the very few things that I've found that a lot of people in this listening audience disagree on. Privatizing schools as opposed to keeping things public. But amongst the people that disagree, and they present arguments that I may not agree with, but i got to admit, they're well thought out and well put together. Going through my papers here, I just came across the end of the conversation with Adrian because it was across several emails. And rather than go back and record it or whatever, re-record what I had said, I'll just go through the end of it here. Uh, he was talking about being able to use status in the Hey Boss episode, and he said that he had used it three different times uh, to his advantage. And he said, well, tell me about one of them. And he said, well, status drop, yeah, Got me a free cookie. Just at the coffee shop lately, I've been going in and saying, Good morning, boss. Hey, chief, how's it going? And the shop guy reacted quite positively to it. So I went to buy my coffee, and I thought I would get a cookie. Well, he said, It's on the house. So yeah, it's not much. But it was a free cookie. I'm using the bit around the office, and though there hasn't been any extreme changes here since its use, it's in the process. I'm trying it at home with a girlfriend, but that's a work in process. Well, you're right. Status doesn't always work. And sometimes it works slowly over time. And sometimes you get a promotion and sometimes you get a free cookie. But, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Here's one I liked from Timothy. I just got done listening to podcast number 18, Weasel Words 2, and was amused when you jokingly said you'd like to be a developer and name the streets with virtually the same name. Well, sorry, dude. It's already been done. My parents moved into an Atlanta suburb a few years ago into a development off a road named Alcovey Woods Road. You turn into the development and you're on Alcovey Woods Drive. You pass Alcovey Woods Lane, Alcovey Woods Circle, Alcovey Woods Terrace, until you're completely lost and have to call on the cell phone to find out which friggin' A.W. they live on. Ditto for when I want to mail them something, otherwise no one will ever see the item again. Also... All the woods have long since been cut down. You know, it just occurs to me that I might have read that one in the last bonus episode. If I did, my apologies, but it was a good letter worth reading twice. The Fleming phone book, which actually came from an article on the Hitman Chronicle that was one of my favorite articles, one I just really enjoyed writing and, and thought would make a good podcast. Uh, that one generated uh, a lot of email on what I talked about in the beginning about driving with my wife and why I have her drive. Here's one from Ted Clark, who said, I listened to your latest podcast and enjoyed it as usual. I can empathize with your wife, however. I chuckled when you described the reasons for letting her drive all the time. It sounded very familiar, only in my case, the problem is mine. Until recently, I've always been the family driver. I now have a foot condition that prevents driving, so I have to rely on my wife, my 20-year-old daughter, and my 22-year-old son for transportation. Now, every ride in the car is a white-knuckle experience. Like your wife, I try to restrain my criticisms. I just grab the armrest or the oh-shit handle and whimper a little every time they follow too close or wait until the last second to apply the brakes. It must have something to do with the lack of control in this situation. Anyway, I can't wait until I can drive again. 
And here's one from someone whose name I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, and he writes in fairly often, Er, tell me if I'm mispronouncing your name. It looks like it's Er Van Andel. And he says, uh, you couldn't have better described my wife's action when I drive. Of course, we have the exact same agreement. I even sit in the back when she drives to better unfold the newspaper. Wow, I never thought about that, but I've usually got a book if it's a long trip. But I don't know if I'd quite get away with sitting in the back seat. I don't know what the reaction to that would be. We've got one more letter here to read. And if you've been listening to hear your letter and you haven't heard it yet, if it wasn't included in this, well, I'm sorry. I just get too much stuff to put it all in here. This could be an hour-long bonus show. And I think that would probably be a little dull. So uh, keep writing. And if you do write and you don't get a reply, that means something got caught in a spam filter or didn't get delivered somehow, because I do reply to every single email that I get from the listeners to this show. And I saved my particular favorite one for last. This is from Bernadette, and there's actually two parts to it. I'm going to read the, the last part of it first, because the first description was just the coolest thing I've gotten in a long time. As for the phrase, I'd like to strike for the language, I'd vote for, I don't mean any offense, but it's always followed by something expressly meant to be offensive, and I wish people would stop hiding from pretend politeness. Another one that's related to that, I think, is, uh, with all due respect, and usually it's when you're about to say something very disrespectful, with all due respect, you're a complete idiot. I would also like journalists to be banned from using the phrase, this is a tragedy. They hardly ever use the word to describe an event resulting in great loss or misfortune. And no one should be able to declare war on anything, terror, drugs, dog owners, etc. But now, this is how she opens their email. And you'll see soon why it's, it's the favorite piece of email that I've received in, in a while. I thought I'd tell you where I was when your surrealism episode got to the top of my playlist. Now, I'm guessing that she's in the other hemisphere because she's talking about spring and it's more the fall around here. After a long, cold, gray winter, today is the first really fantastic day we've had this spring. So I took my opportunity to load up my iPod and take a long walk on the river that wends its way through my city. Literally, just as you were pleading with listeners to embrace the weirdness we encounter, I couldn't actually hear what you were saying due to the fact that two, or maybe more, monkeys at the zoo across the river started to have the loudest, most vocal sex I've ever heard. Several of my fellow walkers stopped, and we all kind of smiled and laughed about it. Just then, two people dressed in giant teddy bear suits strolled along the trail. They didn't stop or say anything, just strolled into view and out again a few moments later. The monkeys continued their activities and I continued my walk. Definitely surreal, and I truly embraced the experience in your honor. That one made my day. It really did. And that's it. That's all I've got time for. I got I could go through a bunch more of these, but I think you kind of got the feel for what's going on behind the scenes here. And this time, I didn't have anything to do with any of the smartenization. It all came from your fellow listeners. And if, listening to those fellow listeners, you learned a little something, you know a little something more than you did before, you've changed your mind, or maybe even just can see a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, 
Congratulations. You've been smartenized. It's hitman at davehit.com, and I'm not going to try and spell that out for you here. You can find it in the MP3 tags of this file. You can go to davehit.com, which is spelled with two T's. And if you click on just about any page there, you're going to find a contact me down at the bottom, or contact us, the editorial us, and you can send an email. Also, you can give me a call at 206-203-4488. That's 206-203-HIT. And while the Quick Hits podcast is normally a little more than a journal of one man's opinion, this episode was also a journal of lots of other people's opinions. But I think I can feel comfortable in saying for them, as well as me, that nothing in this show should be taken too seriously. Seriously.